Welcome to Talos Takes, the security podcast for everyone from the C-suite to the front lines. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talos Takes. I am joined today by Kendall McKay from our Threat Intelligence and Interdiction team. Thanks for coming on, Kendall. Hey, John. Thanks for having me on. So real quick, since this is your first time on the show, uh, you are on the same team as Aliza and Caitlin, who have both been on before. Uh, but real quick, can you just kind of talk about what your role is at Talos? Yeah, sure. Uh, like John mentioned, I'm part of Talos's Threat Intelligence and Interdiction Group. And within that, I'm on the strategic analysis team. So our team does a lot of technical threat hunting that often results in new investigatory leads or new protections for Cisco products or written reports. But we also get to do other more strategic work um, that relates to intelligence gathering and analysis. So that kind of runs the gambit, anything from extracting intelligence findings from incident response investigations to long-term threat actor tracking. And so we get to do the best of both worlds, kind of the, both the tactical and strategic analytical and intelligence work on the team. So the reason why I wanted to have you on this week is so we could talk about a research paper that you and your colleagues worked on recently that I'll be linking to in the show notes. Basically, you guys were able to re- review a trove of chat logs from the Conti and Hive ransomware groups. And we kind of just wrote about what our findings were from that and what we learned and what other folks can learn kind of from those logs. So let's start out by talking about these two groups in particular. Can you kind of give me the the TLDR around why these groups are notable right now and kind of what they've been up to recently? Yeah, so we were really fortunate to capture the chat logs from these two groups specifically because they've just been in the news so much. So I think our our the timing of our findings correspond really well to just the heightened public interest around these groups. Listeners are probably familiar with the the Conti leaks that have been reported widely in the news over the last couple months now. And that started with Conti's public support for Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And following that, it appeared to be in retribution. Some leaks started happening. And this was everything from internal chats between Conti members to sensitive operational details, and even some Conti source code. So that, that's been going on for, for a while now. And then with Hive, they've also been in the news quite a bit. We saw recent reports of Hive ransomware operators targeting Microsoft Exchange server vulnerabilities, again, highlighting the group's um, interest in exploiting known vulnerabilities. And they've changed their encryption scheme. I think this was in early March and they began using the Rust programming language with their ransomware. And that's sort of a new emerging trend we're starting to see. Rust is sort of a more agile, sophisticated programming language. So that was new. And then even reports of Hive using new obfuscation techniques. So these are really two of the most uh, notorious groups right now in this threat space. According to some reports, they're amongst the top busiest and active ransomware groups. And One last thing I'll add is that the federal government also has issued multiple warnings about these groups. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, the Department of Health and Human Services issued a warning to healthcare entities about Hive ransomware attacks. And then, of course, we've seen multiple reports over the last year or more from FBI, DHS, and others about Conti. So these are both two very active, um, constantly evolving ransomware. 
So what were some of the main findings that you and your colleagues kind of took away after reviewing the logs? There's a summary, obviously, in the in the research paper that I'll be linking to. So people can kind of, you know, read more, obviously, if they want to learn more. But at least for, we'll cover a specific a couple of specific points that I thought were interesting. But I'm curious to kind of get your thoughts off the bat as to what stood out most to you. One of the most obvious things that we noticed from these chats, and remember, these were um, approximately 40 chats between the ransomware operators and their victims um, that we gathered over multiple months. And one of the uh, most obvious takeaways was that they're very ready and willing to negotiate. It seemed apparent that they would rather get some form of payment as opposed to none. That being said, I would say another key finding is that Hive and Conti had um, notably different communication styles. Conti appeared to have more paired persuasion techniques and almost seemed to stick to some sort of a script in that we, we tended to see the same themes coming through and almost a similar structure in different conversations. But Hive, by contrast, was much more direct, short, and to the point. And sometimes the Hive operators seem to go off script. Um, they, And by that, I mean they would employ really any and all means to obtain payment. In one instance, for example, we saw them offer kickbacks to a um, third party that was negotiating on behalf of a victim if they could, if they could secure payment. And in another instance, Hive, a Hive operator revealed some sensitive operational information about the group, including some encryption information. But at the end of the day, despite the differences in communication styles, their goals were were undoubtedly the same, which is obtain ransom from the victim. And then lastly, I'll, I'll just mention a major takeaway. These actors will follow through on their promise to leak a victim's data if the ransom is not paid. They are not messing around. Both groups maintain uh, public leak sites on the dark web, which m most ransomware groups do. These sites are constantly updated. They are they will not hesitate to publish victim organizations' data if if an agreement with the ransom amount is not reached. Yeah, I, I like that you brought up that point because that was something that specifically was interesting to me was that there's kind of like a negotiation here that goes back and forth. At least for for me, someone I've never had like insight into these types of actors like you guys have, and I don't get to do all the look at all the cool stuff that you do. So I always assumed it was like, okay, here is the asking price for your files back, take it or leave it. But there's actually kind of like a negotiation process that happens. And I'm curious why you think that might be the case. Why is there that process? And then why is there like a breaking point where the actor is like, okay, well then now we're just gonna, we're just gonna leak everything. Yeah, I think it's a good question and something that average users might not be aware of is that, that is that negotiation is is a possibility and i i think the reason for this is that these actors would rather receive some form of payment as opposed to none i mean think about it from their perspective they've already gained access to the victim network so they've achieved initial compromise which is can be a difficult feat in and of itself they've deployed multiple stages of their attack successfully thus far they've exfiltrated victim data they've encrypted victim data and now they've established communications with the victim. And so they're so far advanced into their operation at that point that it would behoove them to get some sort of payoff at the end. 
And one way to think about it is sort of like a car salesperson. Imagine a car salesperson has spent uh, most of or their entire workday with one customer. And as that workday is coming to an end, that salesperson is probably going to be highly motivated to close that deal because they've just spent all their resources for that day on this one person. And, you know, we found that these ransomware groups operate like a business. They are a business. Their main goal is to make money. And so, you know, I think despite the discounts that they offer and despite their willingness to negotiate, one thing to remember is that these payouts can still be incredible, incredibly lucrative, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And so why not take a substantial discount from their initial ask rather than nothing? And that is essentially the, the leaking part of it, just to prove a point to basically so that they show that they do have a breaking point and that, hey, you got to take us seriously. Absolutely. You know, another observation that came through um, in our research was that these groups really care about their reputation and their reputation is really one of the main, if not only things that they have to help persuade or coerce victims to paying the ransom amounts. And so imagine if they didn't follow through on their threat to leak the data well, then they probably wouldn't have many victims that were highly compelled to pay that ransom amount. So that's absolutely part of their modus operandi and probably something that they take into consideration in terms of maintaining their reputation. So the, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is looking at this from a defender's perspective, because all the stuff that we've talked about to this point is kind of like insights if you're, uh, say, a potential target or a victim. What as defenders can we kind of take away from this and apply to either potentially our detection methods or the way that we're approaching defending against these groups? It's a great question um, because when we write these types of pieces that are more informative from a human interest standpoint, we always want to try to walk away with some message or guidance for network defenders and organizations. And so I think in this case, it's important to focus on security fundamentals. So these actors must first gain access to a victim's network protecting those access vectors are extremely important. And so we talk about things like phishing awareness. Many of these actors can gain access via phishing emails. Keeping security systems patched and up to date, these actors scan and look for known vulnerabilities that they can exploit. And so making sure that systems and software are patched is extremely important. And then also multi-factor authentication or MFA We've found through our incident response engagements and um, research that many ransomware attacks could have been prevented if MFA simply had been enabled. All right, awesome. Well, that's all great, Kendall. I really appreciate your time talking to me about this, and hopefully people will go and read the full research paper. Like I said, I'll be linking it in the show notes, and then it's also pinned on our uh, Twitter profile at the moment, so folks can go see it there. So again, appreciate your time, Kendall. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me.